Welcome to the Lost Roman Heroes podcast. My name is Matthew. And my name is Matteo. And together we're diving deep into the history of Rome from its founding to its death, uncovering Rome's greatest heroes along the way and ranking them. In this episode, number seven, we're going to focus on this candidate for heroship, Marcus Valerius Corvus. Now, Matteo, there's a lot to cover in this episode. So let's get going. Remember, we're going to try to keep this to an hour or less. All right. All right. So next, we always talk about where we are in history and where we are in the globe. But Matteo and I are going to try something a little new here, which is, in addition to orienting ourselves in the world, we want to give the listeners a sense of where we are in time. What else is happening of great importance around the world at the time of our podcast? So we're still in the city of Rome where we ended last episode, but now the year is 370 BCE. That's when Corvus was born, about five years before last episode's heroes, Camillus, died. Right, so in 370 BCE, uh, the biggest things going on in the world at that time and the most notable things in history were the Greek philosopher Plato, who was off in Athens, uh, founding his academy of philosophies and, and science. In India, Buddhism was sprouting like wildfire, I guess, and continuing to develop. And um, the Buddhist text known as the Jataka Tales, the Jataka Tales. <laughs> uh, That's good. The Jataka Tales were composed. Your guess is as good as um, mine. The Persian Empire uh, was being ruled by a king, Artaxerxes II, and obviously it was the most dominant force in the East, uh, rivaling all the Greek city-states for dominance of uh, the Jian. Um, in China, Zhu Li Wang became the emperor of the Zhu dynasty, and uh, the Warring States period was still ongoing. The Mayan civilization was flourishing geez, in present-day Guatemala, and in the Mediterranean, oh, Carthage was warring against the Greek city-states and uh, had just defeated Dionysus of, of Sicily. And do you remember going to the capital of Dionysus in Sicily in, in Syracuse? I do remember. Lucky times. Lucky times. So we hope you guys appreciate that little trip around the world so you can get a sense of what's happening on planet Earth while we dig deep into the life of Corvus. And we'll do that every episode. And we want to thank a listener for giving us that feedback. They suggested it would be a great idea. And thank you very much for that. So, let's get into Marcus Valerius Corvus. Mateo, like our last few heroes, we know nothing about this guy when he was growing up. And he shows up on the scene when he was 21 years old. In 349 BC, he was a military tribune under Lucius Furius Camillus, who must have been related to Camillus from last episode. I'd imagine so. I would imagine so too. And he went on campaign against the Gauls in northern Italy. So, Matteo, picture this. You're big into movies. Yup. What's our favorite Roman movie? Gladiator? I would say Gladiator. Do you remember the opening scene of Gladiator? Yeah, with uh, the horse charge into the barbarian lines. There was like... And the fire in the woods. And Aurelian. And Marcus Aurelius, sorry. And Marcus Aurelius, exactly right. So picture that. Picture the smoke machines are going. Picture the uh, the, the barbarians are, are pounding their shields. And things are looking dire. And in the middle of all this, a humongous giant of a warrior emerges from the lines of the Gauls. And he steps forward into that empty space in between the Romans and the Gauls. And he challenges any Roman to single combat. Who is brave enough to fight me? One man accepted. And his name was Marcus Valerius. 21-year-old guy. Tribune. He steps into the gap and he approaches the enemy. And as he's approaching this beast of a Gaul, a giant raven settles on Valerius's helmet as he's stepping forward. The Gaul approached 
Valerius, ready to strike, and this raven flew from Valerius's helmet directly at the Gaul and distracted him, giving Valerius a chance to strike a deadly blow. And he killed the Gaul. As soon as that happened, the two armies met on the battlefield and eventually the Romans triumphed. And Marcus Valerius was the hero of the day. The Senate gave him 10 oxen, a golden crown, and most important, the cognomen of Corvus, which means raven in Latin. Is that cool? Yeah, but it's kind of a cheap shot. Well. Like, what actually probably happened was a bird, like, just flew in the face of this guy. (laughs) Something, I don't know, and you just stabbed him out of nowhere. So you're saying he doesn't deserve to be called a hero? No, it's definitely cool, because, like, the gods were on his side or whatever. I think that's more of a Norse mythology. Ravens? Ravens? I don't know. But still, a little bit of a cheap shot. Okay, fair enough. All right, so we're getting going right now. You're not convinced. By the way, one tiny little side note. The word corvus means crow in Latin as well as raven, as far as I can tell, which is, it's tough to know. I'm assuming that corvus refers to ravens. Ravens are much bigger than crows. They have a three to four foot wingspan and crows look like pigeons, but whatever. We're going with raven. So after the battle, this guy was a rock star. Marcus Valerius Corvus was a rock star. He was super popular in Rome, and he didn't return to the city. He stayed on campaign. And the next year, he was named uh, uh, Praetor, and then the following year, he was named Consul. And he went on to defeat two more Etruscan tribes, leading the troops, the Volsci and the Antiates, going from win to win, you may not think he was heroic in the first battle because the bird, maybe the bird was the hero. But he definitely built up his legend. He built up his legend at a very, very young age. And when he returned home to the city of Rome, Matteo, he received his first triumph. Wow. So, remember Camillus had a triumph and people didn't love it because he was kind of high and mighty and a little yeah. arrogant? Yeah, I remember. So it seems like the idea of a triumph is now becoming more normal and it's becoming something that isn't looked down upon but is embraced by the rest of the Romans. Yeah. So that's where our man Corvus steps into history. Now, I need to give you a little background, Matteo. Do you know who the Samnites were? I do know who the Samnites were, yeah. They were um, in southern Italy. Well, I know they were an Italian tribe that they spent a lot of, a lot of time warring with the... Latin states and the Samurai Wars. They did. And they weren't really south. They were actually just east of Rome. So your family, your ancestors, come from two different parts in Italy. And one of those parts is Abruzzo, right. which is sort of east of Rome. And that's where the Samnites were. Abruzzese. Abruzzese. And the Samnites had been in Rome for a really long time. They'd been there for like... Longer. Two, yeah. For like since 2000 BC. So they were around much longer than the Romans were. Um... They spoke a language that's now extinct called the Oscan language. And they were a branch of the, the Sabines. You remember the Sabines, right? Yeah, the rape. The famous rape. So the Sabines and the Samnites were sort of the same people. And interestingly enough, the Samnites, at the time of our story, they were allies of Rome. And remember Brennus, the guy from Camillus's episode? The, the Gaul, the leader of the Gauls that oh, yeah. sacked Rome? Yeah, yeah. The so mustache guy. The mustache guy that looked like Thor. Yeah. So the Samnites were allied with Rome, allied with Rome during that war against the Gauls. So heading into this episode, they're still friends, the Samnites and the Romans. But they wind up going to war. How did it happen? This is how it happened. I'm glad you asked the question. Yeah. Are you paying attention? I am paying attention. I'm waiting for you to continue <laughs> Okay. So the Samnites attacked another tribe, an Italic tribe, which was south of Rome, so just north of modern Naples. Campania. Campania. In Campania, called the Sidicini was the name of the tribe, and they occupied the territory of Campania. So the Sidicini eh, or, and turned to the rest of Campania for help, and the Campanians sent ambassadors to Rome. Whether their main city was called Capua. And they sent ambassadors from Capua to Rome. And they sat down in front of the Senate and said, guys, you need to help us with these Samnites because they're scary dudes. 
And do you know what the Senate said? What? No, thank you. Wow. Because the Senate said, we have an alliance with the Samnites, so we can't ally with you against them because there's, there's a conflict. Mm-hmm. And the Campanian ambassadors understood that this was an issue, and then they made a very, very bold move. Do you know what they did? What they do? They surrendered to the Romans. So there was no war. The Rome wasn't at war with the Campanians, but the Campanians said, Ah, yeah? You don't want to ally with us? Okay, here. Here's our territory. It's yours. We surrender. Genius move, right? Get that issue off their backs. Yeah. They, they could go back home to their manors and villas. And now the Romans had an issue. Yeah. They got land that the Samnites wanted. So the Romans sent ambassadors to the Samnites and said, Guys, no, we're friends, but got a little issue. You're attacking a territory that's surrendered to us. So in essence, it's you're like you're attacking us. us. And the Samnites said, Screw you, man. They sent their armies deep into Campania and basically said, Could care less. We want this territory because Campanian territory, Matteo, was the super best, rich. The best lands in Italy. How do you know that? Because I'm that guy. You're that guy? Yeah. <laughs> well, guy, you're right. Yeah, it was, they were rich lands, warm lands, access to the sea. It was a territory that everybody wanted. So the Roman Senate in 343, after hearing this from the Samnites, declared war on the Samnites. And they sent two consuls to take the legions into Campania to fight the Samnites. Mm -hmm. One of those two was Corvus. And his co-consul was a guy named Aulus Cornelius Cosus. So Cosus moved into Samnite territory. Remember, that's east of Rome. Mm -hmm. And Corvus went south into Campanian lands. Mm -hmm. And he made his camp at a place called Mount Garus. And Mateo, if you go to www.lostromanheroes.com, you're going to see a map and you'll understand exactly what we're talking about geographically. I did a little scratching on the map to try to make things look more obvious. And I think this is maybe the third image under this... uh, Uh, for this episode so camped beneath the mountain ready to take on the Samnites and the next morning after making camp he marched out and he met the Samnites in battle first he ordered his cavalry into battle Mateo but they were thrown back because the Samnites were ferocious and then uh, Valerius who was by the way he was unhorsed he was standing with the infantry and he led the infantry personally into the advancing Samnite lines and killed many Samnites, but the Samnite lines didn't break. They were brave and disciplined. And finally, when it looked as if the Romans were going to lose this battle, Valerius made Corvus, made one last ferocious attack, throwing his cavalry and infantry at the Samnites, and finally, the Samnite lines broke. And according to Livy, the Samnites said that the eyes of the Romans which seemed to them to blaze along with their furious expression and frenzied glare made them afraid and basically broke the lines and and ran away. So Corvus was just scary and intimidated the Samnites and made them run. Right. So that was the first battle of the war. There was a second battle fought by Cosus in which the Romans also won. And finally, that brings us to the third battle of the war, which was the Battle of Susula. And if you look at that same map we mentioned before, you'll see the Battle of Susula, which is just north of the last battle they fought. So it's a little bit closer to Rome. And in this battle, the Samnites were surrounding the Campanian capital of Capua and wanted to strike a decisive knockout blow on the Campanians. Now, Corvus was far away when he learned that the Samnites were surrounding Capua, and he left behind his entire baggage train and made a forced lightning march to Capua. And he arrived just outside the Samnite camp. Right. And the Samnites, they had scouts, right? They had spies, and they saw the Romans coming. 
And they saw this force approach and they said, the Roman force is small. Because they didn't know that the Romans had left all their stuff behind, you know. Right. The baggage train, the supplies, the the doctors, all the hangers on of the army. And it was just the fighting men. And so the Samnites weren't super concerned. They were running low on food. So they sent out foraging parties to gather supplies. They weren't concerned about Corvus and the Roman force. And when Corvus saw the Samnites out foraging, picking potatoes and the like, he sent his army into battle and wound up destroying the Samnites, Mateo. At the end of that day, at the end of that battle, Livy said that there were 40,000 Samnite shields on the field of battle and 170 battle standards. It was an absolute rout. That's cool because it puts in perspective the size of the battle, like the magnitude. You'd think since this was so, so long ago, so long ago? Yeah, so long ago. Yeah, I'm just trying to make sure that's good English. Yeah, that was good English. You'd think like since it was so so long ago, the size of the battles would be so small, but 40,000 people is a lot. So. It's a huge number. I mean, maybe there's some great inflation. Maybe it wasn't 40,000 because when Livy wrote about this, it was 300 years after the battle. Ooh. But the point is, it was a complete and utter victory, and Corvus was responsible for it. So the Romans returned to Rome. And on September 21st and September 22nd of that year, Corvus and Cosus, his co-consul, celebrated their respective triumph. So one triumph one day, one triumph the next. And here's an interesting little detail. You know we're getting close to a really important war. Yeah. A series of wars. What oh, are yeah. they? The, the, the Punic Wars. The Punic Wars. So when Carthage heard about the Roman victory over the Samnites, they sent a 25-pound golden crown to Rome to congratulate the Romans. And it was installed in the temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus, which has to be the coolest name of a god in the history of gods and cool names. Yeah, it's basically just calling yourself the coolest and the greatest. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's kind of like Mateo Optimus Maximus. Well, Optimus Prime. Yeah, or Optimus that's Prime. That's what you just started calling me. Transformer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, anyways, that temple, by the way, Matteo, was the most important temple in Rome. It wound up burning down in 83 BC. And this was a little bit of a tangent, but I thought it was super cool, so I wanted to mention it. Inside that temple, in addition to the 25-pound golden crown, there were a set of books, Matteo. Mm-hmm. The Sibylline books. Do you know what they are? Books written by the Sibylline. Yeah, that's exactly right. So they were oracular books, and they were bought by the last king of Rome, our old buddy Tarquinius Superbus, and kept by the Senate in this temple of Jupiter Optimus Maximus. And those books were extremely important to guiding the Roman Republic. The Senate would consult those books in times of great stress, or when they were on the verge of a war, or maybe when there was disease or pestilence in the city. So like... The Prince by Machiavelli. It was like The Prince by Machiavelli, but that was more giving advice on how to behave. This was actually telling the future. These were oracular books. So as an example, when Hannibal annihilated the Roman legions at at, at Cannae, which we're going to talk about, the Romans consulted the books. And on their recommendation, two Gauls and two Greeks were buried alive in the city's marketplace Mm. because that was going to bring luck and victory to the Romans. And it ended up Bringing luck and victory. And it did. We should start doing that more often. Yeah, sorry to the two Gauls and the two Greeks, but what can you do? Anyways, that temple burned down in 83 BC, and the Sibylline books were burnt with them. And after that, our old buddy Augustus, who we will be talking about in the not-too-distant future, sent people back to Thrace and to Greece to reconstitute the Sibylline books. And they remained in that temple until basically the end of the city of Rome when they were burned by Stilicho. So, little little deviation there, but I thought the Sibylline books were extremely cool. Key. So a short while after this complete victory over the Samnites, in 342 BC, there was trouble again in Campania. But this time, Matteo, the trouble was coming from the Roman soldiers themselves. Oh no. Yeah. 
What could have possibly happened? Was somebody not paid? I don't know. I don't know if they were... I think maybe they were paid. But these guys... You said that this was a very delightful place to live, right? The best. The best of the best. The best place, like like Vinland, but in Italy. Hmm. So I think the Roman soldiers were looking at this amazing place saying, you know, instead of just being garrison troops, we should take this place for ourselves. Oh. A little mutiny? A little tiny bit of mutiny. A little coup d'etat? Potentially a little coup d'etat. So guess what these troops did? What they do? Guess what they... I don't know. I'm going to tell you what they did. They started marching. Where do you think they marched to? Rome? They started marching on Rome. That's a funny thing because all roads lead to Rome. Indeed. So I guess it was easy to get there. Yeah. And guess what the Senate did, Matteo Storm? They made somebody dictator. It's literally all they know how to do. They made somebody dictator, and that somebody was? Corvus. The Raven. So the Raven marched out from the city of Rome, and he met the advancing troops, the mutineers, eight miles outside of the city. And when the mutineers saw Corvus, you think they pulled out their swords and, they and attacked? Asked, they asked him to lead them. That's the thing, Matteo. Good guess. The troops loved Corvus. As when we did the episode on Camillus last week, you got the sense that Camillus was a bit... A bit High and mighty. Of a douchebag. You could call it that. I was I was going with the high and mighty. A bit of a yuppie. A bit of a <laughs> Maybe he was a little bit of a yuppie. Camillus the yuppie. Yeah, I agree. So Corvus was not. Corvus was a patrician, but he was a man of the people. And when he was on campaign in Campania with these guys, he shared their meals. He played games with them. They would do athletic games like little little Olympiads, and Corvus would participate. So he was, you get the sense that he was a down-to-earth good guy. Yeah. And he led them to victory. And nothing endears you more to the troops. Than victory. Than victory itself. Napoleon. Napoleon. Great movie. Mais bien sûr. Way, that's coming out. Yeah? About Napoleon. We need to watch it. Yeah, it's with um, that guy from Gladiator, actually. Huh? The guy that acts Commodus. Ah, uh, really? Yeah. Ah, uh, he's good. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Phoenix. Uh, uh, Joaquin. Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. He's cool. Napoleon. Gotta watch it. Gotta watch it. So, the troops saw Corvus step out, and they said, we, we, we love you, man. We love you. And Corvus said, guys, I understand your grievances. You feel like you've gotten a raw deal, and you deserve more. And I'm going to go back to the Senate, and I'm going to make certain that you're taken care of. Which Corvus did. A law was passed, first of all, so that none of the mutinous soldiers would be prosecuted, which was huge. Wow. Really big. Wow. Right? Because this is old school Rome. This was a don't mess with me Crucifixions Rome. along the road of Rome. Yes. 40,000 crucifixions. I don't know how many soldiers there were. That's what it would have been. So somehow Corvus's influence, both with the troops and with the Senate, was so great that he had these guys pardoned. And in addition, there was another law passed called the Legis Genusiae, which I'm sure I'm mispronouncing, which was addressing this ongoing plebeian-patrician tension. Because this is a story as old as the Republic, Matteo. We've been talking about it in our last several episodes, which is the patricians were high and mighty, and the little guy in the street felt like he wasn't getting enough of the take, the riches, the benefit of this expanding tale as old as time. It is a tale as old as time. I don't know why. Whenever you say that, a Disney song pops into my head. Tell us all the time. Exactly, that one. I don't know where it's from. I don't know where it's from either. So another part of this package of laws that Corvus had passed was that you couldn't hold two magistracies uh, or magistrate positions at the same time or within 10 years of each other. So he was imposing term limits. There were a number of reforms, in other words, that were aimed at trying to curb a little bit patrician power and to equalize the plebs with the patricians, which I find pretty incredible. He was a man of the people. So time passes, and remember, Corvus was born, Matteo, in 370 BC. Now we're in 342 BC. 
uh, when the Roman garrisons in Campania mutinied. And fast forward to our next stop in time, which is 335 BC. Corvus was elected consul again, and he led an army against the Ausones of Calis, or Kales. And he was victorious again. And he was granted, Mateo, after that one, his third triumph. Three triumphs in a lifetime is ridiculous. And it gets even more crazy. He's like a three-time MVP, basically. He's a three-time MVP, and he takes it to yet another level. Hang in there. I'm hanging on. (laughs) Okay, the story's coming. In 332, and again in 320, Mateo, he was elected something which has got to be the coolest title of all times. Interrex. 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 Meaning? It means between rexes, between kings. So she... She's Louise. She's. She's Louise. Yeah. So the Interrex was a very short-term assignment. Like, dictator was... How long we said? Dictator was... Maximum of six months. Consul was a maximum of one year. A year. The Interrex was five days. For five days, the Interrex would have the power of the king. Of course, we don't have kings anymore. Jeez. But you basically had complete and absolute power. And the job of the Interrex was very special. It was basically to hold consular elections. And so... Twice, in 332 and 320, this guy, Corvus, was Interrex, and he organized the consular elections. And this interesting job, Matteo, of Interrex, it existed in the Roman Republic for 300 more years. And the last time an Interrex existed was with the election of Pompey the Great as sole consul in 52 BC. Interesting little nugget of historical wisdom. That's this guy was just the, the, the all-time MVP at this point. Yeah, this guy is crazy. And you know what's crazy? I knew nothing about him before I started research on this episode. He's got to be in GOAT conversations for the Republican period. Like. I could not agree with you more. He is up there. Jeez Louise. And he's not done yet. In 312, the Senate sent him to establish a new Roman com- colony in Campania called Saticula. In 310, and at this point, Matteo, he is 60 years old. And 60 years old in 310 BC is... It's pretty freaking ancient. It's ancient. Yeah. And guess what this ancient dude did? He fought another major battle. It reminds me of Cincinnatus. Against the Samnites, by the way. He was elected legate under another dictator, a guy named Lucius Parpirius Cursor. And they fought a major battle at Longuli in which Corvus took the lead and he destroyed the Samnites. In 302, he was elected dictator again, Matteo, and he fought another battle against the Marsi, and after that battle, he was given his fourth triumph. Wow. Hang on to that wow for a second. In 301, a year later, he was elected dictator yet another time. He's now 70 years old, or 69 years old. And this is the best story, and I'm going to spend a couple seconds on this. All right? The Etruscans were causing trouble. They always were. They were still strong enough, even though they were on the decline and Rome was on the rise, they were still strong enough to cause a ruckus. Right. Probably destroy Rome. I mean, they they were still the top dog in Italy until probably the end of the Pyrrhic War and the Third Simonite War. I think that you might be right. I think they're probably, maybe if they're not top dog, but they're still right there. Yeah able to duke it out toe-to-toe, head-to-head with the Romans. Yeah, trade punches in the ring. And so the Etruscans are causing trouble. And what does the Senate do? The Senate turns to... The one and only. The one and only. Corvus. Mr. Corvus. And what does Corvus do? He's now... Sorry, two, this is 299 BC. He is 71 years old. He was elected a position called the Suffect or Suffect Consul which is a replacement consul. I, I don't know. I think the other consul, Titus Manlius Torquatus, was killed in war, and the Senate said, Corvus, only you. We need you. So old Corvus, ancient Corvus, takes control of the army, and he leads the army out into the field, no way. deep into Etruscan territory, Jesus. and the Etruscans learn that Corvus, 
Who's approaching? Not to be trifled with. Who's approaching? Corvus is approaching. And they all start shaking in their boots. And they turn around. They no. re- they retreat to their walled cities and they lock the gates. And they refuse to come out and engage Cor- Corvus in battle. Just saying that gives me the chills. That's pretty funny. He was like the most well-known bully on the on the on the the blacktop court. They did not want to mess with the 71-year-old Corvus and instead and 70 makes him like the oldest guy in every room he walks into basically. <laughs> Without a doubt. And that was it. That was, as far as I can tell from what I read, that was the end of the ruckus with the Etruscans because they refused to engage in battle. And by the way, Corvus, talk about badass. He did everything he could to lure them out. He went around the Etruscan countryside burning and destroying everything he came across, thinking that eventually these guys are going to have to step up, come out, and, and fight like men. Right, like we said they were capable of doing. And they refused. They didn't want to mess with Corvus. So that was the last time we see him in the historical records. But he's like he the would, boogeyman. He would, yeah, that's right. He's like, like that what, guy in John Wick. He's like what um, famous mothers tell their... Like, not famous, sorry. He's, he's like what um, rich patrician mothers would tell their children back in the day. Like, oh, when you become a general, don't, don't mess around too much or else Corvus is going to get you. Or eat your peas or Corvus is going to come to get you. Yeah. Jeez. So he lives for another 29 years. Shut up. Until he's... A hundred. What the frick? A hundred years is crazy. It is. Crazy. Today, a hundred years is crazy. 300 BC. Ridiculous. Yeah. Jeez. Another 29 years after 299. So what? Like 260? Is that terrible math? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you an opportunity to revisit that one. Wait, 299. 299. Minus 29. Minus 29. 270. Yeah. So he witnessed the Pyrrhic War, basically. That's yes. crazy. So 370 to 270. Jesus. That is Corvus. Jesus. Actually, he witnessed the end of the Pyrrhic War. The end so, through, throughout his lifetime, Rome. The Pyrrhic War. You're talking about Pyrrhus, King Pyrrhus. Yeah. Of um. Yeah, he was somewhere uh, in uh, the Anatolia, King right? In Macedonia. No, look. I forget what the date was on the Pyrrhic or, or War. He was Seleucid, I think. But um, look, the Pyrrhic War ended in 272, and he was around in the Latin War, so he saw yeah. Rome expand. You're right. To almost the entirety of Italy. He saw Rome expand from a city with a little bit and some friends to a good chunk of the Italian peninsula. More than half, I'd say. I mean, all the way from, from Rome, all the way down south to, to Croton and Tarentium. That's crazy. So Matteo right now, for the listeners, is looking at a map that we have on the website, www.lostromanheroes.com. It's the last map in the episode, which is really cool because it shows the expansion of Rome territory, Roman territory from the beginning of the Republic, basically, to the Second Punic War. And you have to think, Matteo, that this guy over that hundred years played a crucial role in that expansion. Absolutely. Of Rome. If we're talking about in the beginning of his story, they had just God and Capua. Capua had just surrendered to them. Yes. And if you consult the map, it shows the little sliver of Roman territories that they had uh, around this time, just conceding Capua in 338 after the Latin War. Jesus, by the time he dies, they more than. I think 10 times the size of their territory. You might be right. It looks like about 10 times. And over that period of time, he received five triumphs. Dictator on multiple occasions. In between Interrex. That's crazy. So that is the story of Corvus. And now, Mateo, it is time to rank him. This guy was... (laughs) How big was his military success? He's going to be one of the biggest ones. I mean, his military success was a straight 10. He okay. didn't have to fight the battles to win. Okay, you, <laughs> that's true. How good do you get when you step upon the field of battle in your enemy's fleet? No one wants to freaking... It's like when you're so good at basketball and nobody wants to play against yeah. you anymore. And you're 71 years old, by the way. It's not like you're the 21-year-old man. You He's are, like Michael Jordan. Jesus. So, all right. This is tough. And, and you and I, we've had a problem, Mateo, because we grade-inflated on our first couple heroes. 
And so, but we need to rank this guy All independently right, how can in you, a vacuum. How can you? How can you not? Military. Like, Ten. I mean, was wrong. Right. Listen, like, what, maybe okay. Look, ten for military because we were saying before that oh, in order for it to be in order for it to be a ten, like it has to be like Rome is about to end. Yes, whatever. that's right. I think that falls under impact more. Okay. Because listen, if you it's not his fault Rome wasn't a, a, under threat of annihilation, you know. Yeah. But for what he had to deal with, he just. Couldn't have done any better. It's n- not possible. Yeah. It, it's from everything I've read, it's hard to see how he could have done any better. He guided Rome over a hundred year period that saw them powering up. Yeah. And taking over. Look, I mean, look at all this. They they became, they went from a, a little obscure nation in Italy to one of the. This is what basically jumpstarts them to being one of the premier powers in the Mediterranean. Yes. Like, if it's not for Corvus, there is no uh, Punic War. You know what I mean? Because if Punic War started. 20 years after he died not even 10 years not even 6 years after he died the first Punic War started and you're saying there would have been no Punic War because Carthage wouldn't have perceived any threat from this tiny little rinky dink town on the river yeah who knows Carthage I mean they had uh, Sardinia they had Corsica they had Sicily who knows Carthage might move into into uh, southern Italy who knows Okay, we're getting into Calabria. We're, we're oh, getting right. into the the, yeah. the the what might have happened, but, but I agree with you. You're either saying ways, my 10? point is that if there's no Corvus, Rome is not uh, um, a premier power in the Mediterranean at the start of the Punic War. Okay, I'm going to give him a nine, and not a ten, and I'm going to tell you why. I mean, it's where it's like splitting hairs, but Corvus, from what I could read, he did not have a Hannibal opposing him. And so I think what he did was absolutely exceptional, but it's tough to tell what the quality and caliber of his opponents were. And so I'm going to give downgrade him just a tiny little bit to give ourselves a little room in the future. But I think the guy's incredible, obviously, militarily. And politically, Mateo, how would you rate him politically? He's beloved by everyone, so a 10. No. Jesus. I'm like, maybe I'm brain inflating. <laughs> Who knows, but... Nobody hates this guy, you know? Five triumphs in a lifetime of 100 years? Yeah. That's a triumph every 25 years. Most people wouldn't get a triumph. Yes. Most people wouldn't even know someone that would get a triumph. Yes. Crazy. And he was beloved by the Senate and the patricians, as well as the, the plebs. plebs. And the soldiers. Yeah. And that's really hard to accomplish. It, it, it's hard to see. So you're, This guy was the best. You're, yes, I agree. Just the best. So you're going 10 on this one? Yeah, for sure. All right, and I sort of, ah, this is so tough. I think I'm going to give him a 10 as well, or maybe I'm going to go for 9. I don't know. And the reason why 9, not 10 is... Because what, they didn't offer for him to be king? He, no, he didn't establish the government. He didn't, he did innovate because he helped to empower the plebs and kind of equalize the, the, the power and to... Uh, try to address or redress some of the issues that the the, the, the no. complaints of the plebs. Well, he did help um, pass a bunch of laws uh, that protected the soldiers and gave the soldiers he did. more rights. He did. And those were all innovations. Because um, if, if five is you did an average job, ten is you are absolute perfection. All right, so nine. I, 9.5, actually. Okay, you're going 9.5. Now, cool hero factor. How do we rank Ten. him? <laughs> He's so cool. He's so cool. Wait. I think. He just needs to show up on the field and they say, Sir, yeah. it's Corvus, and everyone yeah. goes running inside their house. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay, now in the beginning, you started off a little... I don't a, care. This guy is I'm, so I'm, cool. I'm just saying. We were talking about the raven, and he said I was kind of the raven that won the battle. And I take it so, back. I take it back. You take it back? <laughs> I can't say anything bad about him. Okay, all right, so you're 10 on coolness, and I have to, I'm going to 10 on coolness as well, because just the idea of the 71-year-old stepping onto the field of battle somewhere in Etruscan territory, and the Etruscan army turning around and running away and locking themselves up in their, in their fortified cities, refusing to fight him, is about as cool. So badass. Yeah. Jeez. 
right. And that was the way he exited history and the way he entered, even though you had a problem with it, I also thought was exceptionally cool. Accepting a challenge to single combat from the biggest gall in the scariest tribe and taking the guy down with the help of a raven. For sure. All right, so 10. Now we get into impact. What what was, how big, how important was this guy's impact, Matteo, on Rome? I'm going to say a nine. Because, tell me, like I said before, yes, I believe if there's no Corvus, who knows, it might still happen, but I don't think as quickly as it happened. Rome, under his lifetime, doesn't grow to be able to be in conversations with rivaling um, Carthage for control of the Mediterranean. That's crazy. Like That's not something that you would think. Carthage was probably the strongest, uh, it was a republic, but like the strongest nation in Western Europe at this time, if you think about it, when it comes to, I mean, I don't know about Egypt and all those other countries, but I'm going to say like West Western Europe, not Southern, you know? The, the, the biggest power in, in the Egypt's Mediterranean. Egypt's not even Europe, but it's not yeah. Mediterranean. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I That's something that I find fascinating. It's not something that I had thought about, but I agree with you. If it weren't for Corvus, and to our listeners, we're obviously speculating. Who knows? But this is the fun part of it, right? There are no rules to this. And I love that idea that if this fellow hadn't come at this time, had he not lasted for a hundred years, had he not been so unbelievably successful, had he not woven together the patricians and the plebs, Rome would not have gone through this period of dramatic acceleration and growth. Expansion, just rapid expansion. Yeah. yeah. And, and if they had not, maybe they would have continued to be pushed around by the Carthaginians. I agree with you, Mijo. Or the Etruscans. Or the Etruscans. Or the Samanites. That's true, because things were still, when Corvus appeared on the scene, things were still up for grabs. Right, or the Greeks in the south. Yeah. They were just a little city. Okay. A little city with a couple more cities around. And so, where does that take us in terms of impact? Man. It's a 9 to a 10 for sure. A 9 to a 10. A 9 to a 10. Okay. A 9 to a 10. So what does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? I don't know. Oh, by the way, I'm putting me in your... Okay. I'm a little worried that this guy is so darn good. I... Impact. I'm going to give him a 9. Okay, but if we gave Brutus a 10 on impact. We did give Brutus a 10 from impact. And, and, we, I, if we're not and we gave Cincinnatus a 10 for impact. And we're not going to give this guy a 10. That'd be disrespectful. You, you're right. So I'm you're giving right. this guy a 10. Okay, you're going for 10. I'm going to go for 10 as well. Mateo, we have a little problem. <laughs> this guy just got a 77.5... Uh, out of 80, that is a 97%. He's like our, that guy, okay, though. Okay, we have, we have thir- 10 seconds. 10 seconds. I'm going to push back on you. 10 seconds, see if I can change your mind on any of this. He is that guy. He did not found Rome. He was extremely instrumental in, in battles and helping to kind of develop the political system. But if it were not for a Corvus, Rome was producing remarkable men and women. Would somebody have stepped into the gap? If it weren't now, would it have been in 20 years or in 50 years? Um, I think that we know a lot about Corvus, and so we're, we're giving him a ton of credit for what Rome did over these 100 years. But I don't think we can say that it was solely due to him or largely due to him. So I'm, I'm trying to rate him just based on what it is that we've, we know. we've read about him and what we know about him. So uh, militarily, I'm staying with a nine. Politically, I, I don't think he was that important politically. I think that he did things politically people that were... People loved him, though. People did politics. love him. I agree, they did. But he wasn't a senator. And, and he, he was a military reformist. There wasn't that many. It was him and Marius, basically. And he, was. he was. He uh, was. But I'm going to give him, because he did not spend, 
he spent little of his time in politics. What he did was impressive. I'm giving him an eight uh, for political. And I'll do an eight too. No, no, no. You don't need to. I'll do an eight point five. Okay, you're going to eight point five on political, and on impact, we've been giving tens across the board to all these early guys, and I we've guess we've given ten to everyone except for Cincinnati. Carlos. We're going to give a ten to him as well because he deserves it. So that brings him down to a ninety-four percent. I'm happy with that, Corvus. I did not know who you were before two weeks ago when I started my research, and I am blown away by what you've accomplished. Kudos. Mateo, does Corvus belong in the Hall of Heroes? Absolutely. Him more than anyone. Him more than anyone. I agree with you. So, Corvus, welcome to the Hall of Heroes. Kudos. Kudos to you. You rocked. Usually, Mateo, in this part of the podcast, we talk about the alternative history. We We sort of already did it. Which is, without him, Carthage expands into the vacuum, and maybe Rome never develops in the manner in which it did, or its development is pushed further out into yeah. the future, right? And Italy continues in a warring states period. Yes. With a bunch of minor powers, none of which has the ability to knock the other one out. Yeah. I agree with you. So, remarkable guy. For sure. And you had never heard of his name? Nope. And most people won't. And most people sad. But that's exactly what this podcast is about, right? Trying to uncover people that were lost to history. Really? That's why we call it. People to uncover the history. But what do we call the podcast? Lost Roman Heroes. There you have it. Wow. And couldn't think of a better example than this guy. Full circle moment. Indeed. (laughs) Full circle moment. So it is time to wrap up, everyone. And I would like to say a few things. First of all, Mateo, we are up to, as of last night, 374 downloads, which is pretty cool. Thank you to everybody that's downloaded one of our episodes and listened. We are so grateful to you. We have a bunch of new listeners, and I would like to give a shout-out in particular to my friend, Harvey. I don't don't know who that is. You don't know Harvey, but he is a very smart guy, very inquisitive, and he's been sending me a slew of articles about the connections, the historical connections between the Romans and Israel and the Jews. And when we get around to talking about, I think we're going to be talking about Mateo Vespasian and Titus. Ooh. Yes. That one's going to hit close to home. It's going to hit close to home, but thanks to Harvey, I have some interesting additional color to shed. Maybe the story is a little bit more nuanced when it comes to the Jewish revolt, and we'll get there. Next, we have new countries, Matteo, and this really made me excited. We got our first download in Australia. Wow. And we got our first download in a country where you ate the best taco of your life. Slovakia. Yes. In Bratislava. In Bratislava. You remember that Jesus, restaurant? The best taco I've ever had. I think <laughs> the best chicken wing. No, the best chicken sandwich I've ever had. It's crazy. Yeah. To our listeners, if anybody's planning on making a trip to Bratislava, we would highly recommend it. And we have the restaurant for you. You've got to go. Uh, and finally, reviews, Mateo. I love reading. A review or two and I don't want to I would be remiss if we didn't do so in this episode and I would like you to read one in particular which I saw and I really loved and it was left by a listener who's uh, MGC 44 there you go would you mind reading it please nuggets of wisdom five star an approachable podcast for all regardless of your own level of historical knowledge the duo set the stage in their introductory episode by demonstrating self-awareness and acknowledgement of underrepresentation of women in history. With much to learn from Matthew and Mateo, I appreciated their equal eagerness to engage with the audience. I'm excited to join in their quest of uncovering the lost Roman heroes and, although more few and far between, look forward to learning about women heroes. I listened on my morning walk to a coffee shop earlier this week. Strangers passing by were probably wondering what had me smiling to myself. It was the podcast. It was a podcast I had in my ears. Thanks for keeping me in company on my walk. Can't wait to keep listening. 
Thank you, MGC44. Thank you, MGC44. That was an awesome review. I know we haven't technically talked about any female heroes yet. I promise you they're coming. And we're going to do our best to continue to uncover more along the way. And thank you for your feedback, everyone. Please continue to send us messages. And Mateo reminded me, we need to tell people how to connect with us. So we're on Twitter, now called X, at Lost Roman Heroes. Please visit us there and like our posts and send us messages. We'd love to talk to you. Follow us. Follow us for sure. Uh, we're also on Instagram where we're posting images or trying to post images before the, each episode and over the course of the week as we're getting ready to record our new episode. Mateo, you said you were going to do some stuff too, right? You were going to get us on yeah, Reddit. Um, we will be uh, creating either a Reddit or a Discord page so that um, we could talk to our listeners more one-to-one and uh, discuss facts about Roman history. Maybe you guys send us articles or, or characters that you'd like us to analyze and we could have a discussion. We would love that. And you can also reach out to us through our website, lostromanheroes.com. There's a contact us uh, button and you can send us feedback for other heroes you would like included in the podcast or just general feedback and thoughts. So thank you to you all. We are super excited to hear your enthusiastic feedback, to read your reviews, to see the downloads growing and to see new countries pop up. It's really exciting. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. So that's it for this episode. Please join us next week for our next episode on Mr. Quintus Fabius Maximus Verrucosus. Have you ever heard of him? Verrucosus. No, I have not. Have you? No, I have not. Well, let's see what he has to offer. Well, what he has to offer, Matteo, is he is a general at the beginning of We Are Finally There. It is going to start. Do, 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 do. What? <laughs> it's a drum. Do, 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 do. Ah, do, 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 do? Yeah. I didn't hear the drum. Well, do, 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 do. All right. The Punic War. The Punic Wars begin Finally. next week. Jesus. So that's it for us, everyone. This is Matthew. That guy over there. Mateo. Is Mateo. And thank you for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>